right. Good morning, everybody. I think we're going to go ahead and get started. So if you want to take a seat. So for Sunday school this week, uh, we're taking just a one-week break from our series in systematic theology, and we're going to have another Sunday school on soul care, which is just another word for biblical counseling. So last week, uh, Brian talked about angels. Uh, next week, we have a members meeting, and then the week after that, Dave Nelson will talk about demons. So we will have the second part of that, the not just angels, angels and demons, because I know people had a lot of questions about demons in a couple weeks. But like I said, we're just taking a quick pause this week in between angels and demons to have our second Sunday school on biblical soul care. Like I said, soul care is just another word for biblical counseling. And the idea of this series of Sunday schools is to take a lot of what um, myself and other members of the counseling team have learned in our training and do some presentations to disseminate that information out to the rest of the church. Because the reality is that we're all needy and we all need counseling. And so it's, it's great, we have, GCF has a great counseling team, but there's a lot of counseling that can and should be done not in the formal setting. In home groups, in discipleships, even just conversations, even on a Sunday morning, just a conversation where someone says, how is it going? And then the other person gives a real honest response. And maybe they're really hurting. There could be an opportunity right there to just do a little bit of soul care. So that's the idea behind this series. The first one, we went over some of the fundamental foundational things for soul care. We're going to review those super quickly. <clears throat> but today the focus is what are some of the best ways to use scripture when you're in um, a counseling scenario with someone. And obviously, uh, Scripture is the best place to go. It's our best resource in addition to prayer. But that doesn't mean we can just open the Bible and, you know, it magically fixes everything. So my goal today is to hopefully give you some really practical strategies for how to bring Scripture into one of those kinds of conversations I just described. So I want to do just a really quick recap of part one because it's been a couple months since that Sunday school. I'm going to do another one of these at the end of March. So every couple of months, hopefully we'll have a soul care Sunday school. So just really quickly, a really important idea is that soul care before the 20th century was something that happened in churches. But then with Freud in the onset of modern psychology, it became professionalized. And now, <clears throat> frequently people think, if I have a real serious problem, something pretty intense, I need to go to a professional rather than going to my brother or sister from church. And so that's something we want to try to reclaim. We want to work alongside our neighbors in the professional counseling industry. But really, with the help of the Holy Spirit and God's word and prayer, we should be able to come alongside our brothers and sisters and help them with, with pretty much anything. So we want to reclaim soul care for the church. <clears throat> this is a super important concept. You're always living out the reality of your identity. So our primary identity as believers is as saints. Jesus' work has already saved us. But as we grow in sanctification and live out our lives in this very broken world, we also suffer, and we also sin. And so we need to try to keep that primary identity foremost that we are saints, but as we walk, some tools to help us as we suffer and as we face our sin. And along these lines, we all the time suffer from identity amnesia. One of the authors I really like says that everyone is an unbeliever. Not meaning that you could lose your faith or your salvation or anything like that, but that we all have moments where functionally, how we're acting in that moment, we're acting like an unbeliever. We're not 
acting out that we believe the truths of the gospel. And so that's why another word for it would be identity amnesia. And so we can respond then by fighting with gospel truths, by reminding ourselves of our true identity. And a lot of times, most of the time, we need the help of a brother or sister to do that, which is where soul care comes into play. And one of the most important truths, I think, is the nowness of the gospel. To use a phrase from Paul Tripp, it's, it's oftentimes for us easy to remember and believe that Jesus died for the sins we committed before we were a Christian, and even probably fairly easy to believe he died for the sins we're yet to commit, that we'll commit later in our life. But in the moment, in the heat of the moment, it can be really hard to believe the gospel. Um, so we need the nowness of the gospel. And then the, kind of the biggest takeaway from last time was asking really good questions. So if we forget our identity, to try to remember asking or asking our brother or sister, who am I? What has God done? Who is God? And where is he in the midst of this? What's he trying to teach me? Because, you know, the, the circumstances may not change, but we can grow closer to God. And so remembering who he is and what he's done for us and our true identity, not just as sufferer and sinner, but as saint, can help tremendously with growing our souls. So real quickly, before we move on, are there any comments or questions about the review from last time? Yeah, that's a great, another way of saying that. Yeah, I think it's something we just, we don't realize um, as we're going to the day-to-day -day and going through our struggles, and, but it's really true. Um, it's kind of shocking if we reflect on it probably how much time we're not really living out our true identity as a child of God. So I wanted to just give one or two minutes and put this slide up from last time. This is from the book Gospel Fluency which is a foundational text in biblical counseling. We've got copies of it back there in the bookstore. And last time, several people pointed out how helpful this chart was. So I just wanted to show it one more time. This is a way to take those questions I just had up there and use them to counsel yourself or others and move to fruit and faith expressed also, while I'm leaving that up there for a minute to just kind of let it soak in again, I wanted to show you, we also just got into our bookstore pretty recently, these little pamphlets that are published by the Christian, Christian Counseling Education Foundation. So you can see some of the titles, Burned Out, Social Anxiety, Redeeming Your Painful Past, Sexual Assault, How Do I Stop Losing It With My Kids, Restoring Your Broken Marriage. Those are just a few examples I grabbed uh, before Sunday school that I'll put back. But they're only, I think, $5, and they're really easy. You know, it's great to read something if you're really struggling with that issue, uh, but a whole book isn't always necessary. So these are about 20 pages, and they're super helpful. I've used a few of them myself, not just in counseling people, but for myself, for my marriage, for our family. And I think we, we'll probably get more of them, and eventually there's lots of titles you can also look them up and order them on Amazon or somewhere if there's a title we don't have that applies to you. I think they probably have 50 or more of these. There's lots of good ones. Like I said, the, today the focus is Scripture. Like I said, we're taking a quick break from systematic theology to have this Soul Care Sunday School, but I wanted to emphasize, take this moment to emphasize that Theology really underpins everything we do in soul care. It's the, it's the foundation of everything. So there's a lot of connections between systematic theology and biblical soul care. Who can remember or remind us super quickly from when we talked about scripture in our systematic theology series? I know it's been a while, but who can remind us real quickly, what are the four characteristics of scripture? Scripture. 
inerrancy, yeah. So the way, the way Grudem puts it in systematic theology is authority, what, what Chris just said, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency. So the Bible is authoritative, it's, meaning it's inerrant. It's clear with the help of the Holy Spirit we should be able to understand it. It's necessary, right? We absolutely need it. And it should be sufficient. It's kind of a transition into our talk today. I want to focus on sufficiency for just a second. I think we've all, we've all struggled. We've all had pain and suffering in our lives. It's just part of our existence in this world. And Scripture is sufficient. And Scripture can and should be the best place we go. But I think there are times where we're really hurting. Um, speaking from my own experience here, as well as the experience of others who've said this to me, that, you know, we go to the Word of God and we know all these things are true. We believe all these things are true, but in that moment, it just doesn't feel fully sufficient. So, has anyone ever felt that way? Like, you were hurting, and you went to Scripture, and it just, it didn't quite, like, just wasn't helpful in the way you hoped or expected it to be. Or maybe someone was trying to share Scripture with you, and you just weren't, you know, receptive to it. It wasn't seeming to help the way the other person intended. Has anyone ever experienced that? Okay. I see lots of nods. All right. So what we're trying to get at today then is what are some more like really helpful ways to use scripture in counseling ourselves or others? One kind of thing we've kind of jokingly said in uh, biblical counseling training is take two verses and call me in the morning not the approach you want to use, right? Like, you, someone shares this painful thing, you're like, just read this scripture, you'll be so much better, and that's it, right? We don't want to stop there. So, continuing on this track of maybe what are not the best ways to use scripture, before we transition to what are some good ways to use scripture in soul care, I wanted to throw out this idea of applying the Bible to my life. How many of you have heard this phrase before, or said this phrase, or had it told to you, and it's, it's good to an extent, right? Like, we should learn things from the Bible and take those lessons and put them into practice in our lives. But I want to challenge that a little bit. So, even though this is and seems like a good thing, applying the Bible to my life, is there anything about this phrase that seems problematic? Yeah, exactly. Any other comments? Yeah, maybe not the, the depth that we could potentially go into, since Scripture is this, this well, we can never fully plunge the full depths of it. There could always be more. So, yeah, and then exactly, the emphasis is on my life, right? So we can and should apply things and live out things we learn from the Bible, but with this phrasing, applying, applying the Bible to my life, we can end up being too focused on ourselves. Uh, a really good example is Joseph's story from Genesis because he suffered immensely, right? And so it can be easy, say, if you're talking to someone and they're really suffering and they can't see how God might be using this for good, well, think about Joseph, right? Genesis 50, uh, God uses evil for good, right? We can see if we look at the course of Joseph's whole life that there really was a purpose to everything. So that, that seems like a, maybe a great story from Scripture to share with someone who's suffering. But one thing to think about here is <clears throat> what, what are some things that happened between Genesis 37 and 50? over those 14 chapters, and how different is Joseph in Genesis 50 than he was in Genesis 37? Like, I think 20 years older, he's in this position of power, so his brothers can no longer pose the physical threat to him that they did when they threw him down the hole and sold him into slavery. <clears throat> so maybe a way that's not the best way to use Scripture would be to say to someone, you know, just, just if you just learn what Joseph learned, if you just apply what Joseph learned to your life, 
then you'll be fine. But they might still be in the, the Genesis 37 moment, right, where they're still right in the heat of it. I mean, do you think Joseph would have been, anything's possible through the power of God, but do you think it would have been easy for Joseph to forgive his brothers, you know, a few minutes later, not 20 years later when they still had the ability to, to threaten him and hurt him. So that's just a quick example of applying the Bible to my life. And if we just kind of throw scripture at someone um, without plumbing the depths of it and really thinking about the person and, and what would minister to them in the moment, how we can maybe make some missteps. So any quick questions or comments before I move on? Oh, yeah, definitely. We need to, to really understand the context if we're, we're using Scripture to try to help ourselves or someone else. Um, yeah, because the context is so different in the 20 years in between. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. That yeah, it, it's it's soul care is a long, slow process that takes so much longer than than any of us would want. Yeah, exactly right. Because Genesis fifty is the kind of the key, one of the key texts for <clears throat> God uses everything for good, right? So. Exactly. That's the point I'm making. If you, someone comes to you and they're suffering, they're wanting to talk to you, and you're just, well, God uses everything for good, right? So take that verse, and you should be great, right? So, um, like, there's a depth here we can go into. Yeah. I think if you think of like a Venn diagram, there's definitely some overlap, right? Where I would say we probably think of counseling as I'm in more of a crisis mode, something really bad is happening, whereas mentoring can just happen all the time. We need it all the time. Um, but the reality is with our, our sin and our suffering, there's a lot of overlap, right? Where um, we pretty much always need counseling and always need mentoring and there's probably crisis times where we, we absolutely have to go to more of a, a, a deeper kind of counseling where we really talk about the problem. But uh, plenty of the strategies f for like spiritual mentorship would be applicable there too. Yeah. That's a good comment because with the whole soul care for the whole church and the purpose of these Sunday schools is to give some of these, kind of disseminate out some of these strategies to the whole church is the idea. And so you might not have the time that you would have in a formal counseling session where you just keep meeting with the person multiple times, right? So um, it takes time, like John said, but some of these strategies that we'll talk about starting on the next slide, um, you could do even in just, you know, one meeting, um, even though more meetings would be ideal. Yeah.
time and patience. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, it just it just can't move fast. Yeah, it it yeah. So time, patience, and like you said, maybe even just looking at two verses. Like it doesn't have to be a long passage of scripture because, like we said, there's so much depth. So if if these are maybe not the most ideal ways to use scripture, for instance, out of context, just saying God is good, so get better. What are some good ways? So the main focus today is from a talk given by David Pallison, who was the president of the Christian Counseling Education Foundation for, I think, a little over 30 years. And it's called Bible Reading for Personal Application. And as you can see here, the subheading is instead of applying the Bible to my life, applying my life to the Bible. So that's the big idea, applying my life to the Bible. So let's take that phrase for a second. Immediately, what seems different or does, how does that seem to, just from the title itself, before I go into more, how does that seem like a better idea than applying the Bible to my life? Yeah. Chris, did you... Yeah, exactly. Like all of you said, like putting ourselves under the authority of Scripture. So the emphasis here is on the Bible rather than on my life. And like Chris was saying, under the authority of God. Because there may be something he wants us to learn that we really don't want to learn. And so if, but then it means it's really important we learn that and good for us in the long run. So applying our life to the Bible. Yeah. Right, yeah, this relational aspect to God, right? That's why Jesus is the best counselor. Um, yeah, so the relational part of this is huge, which we'll talk about more. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, precisely the, the identity amnesia we t I talked about at the beginning, right? That we're, um, even, a problem, even a problem that's not caused by us, that's not our fault, maybe some of our suffering, um, it's, well, it's all caused by the, the sin that entered the world because of the human race, but it, I mean, even then we might be kind of worshiping that problem, right? Or worshiping some aspect of it in, instead, of, instead of worshiping God. So when we, we forget our identity, we're... we're putting our worship, our praise in the wrong place, the wrong direction. So some of Pallison's ideas here, I'm going to go through pretty quickly because I want to look at an actual passage of scripture as part of this. But some of the, kind of the ideas that come under this big idea of applying my life to the Bible are to slow down, take time, pay attention, stop and think. Seems kind of obvious, but like we were saying earlier, you know, it takes time like Christy said, maybe even just a couple of verses, but I think of it like good food, like like barbecue, right? You know, it takes hours to make. You don't eat it fast. You really want to, you know, take your time with that. Um, and like several people just said, the, the Bible is not about you. It's about God. Personal application is really reapplication of Scripture. If you think of it this way, uh, the Bible is written for at least two audiences, because there's the audience at the time it was written, right? And so, like Jim said earlier, context is really important. So on one level, to, to fully understand a passage of Scripture appropriately in its right meaning, we need to understand the context of the time. 
but it's also written for us. So the, the lessons and whatnot transcend that context and are important and are relevant to us. So it's been applied before, and then now we're reapplying it, reapplying it again. One way, I, one illustration Pallison uses that I really like is reading someone else's mail or biography. Because even though the Bible's for us and it helps us, it was also for that original audience, like I just mentioned. And it's about other people if you think of their narratives. Like it's about David and it's about Joseph and Jacob, um, Esther, etc. So it's applicable and important and relevant to us, but it was also. To, to someone else before, and this reading someone else's mail idea is going to be uh, really important in just a minute here as we, we continue on this thread. Uh, so what God then does is he draws us in to his story. And like we said, this idea of applying my life to the Bible rather than the Bible to my life is it gets us out of ourselves, right? That Kind of the problem with that idea of the Bible to my life is it can be good, but there's a self-focus there, right? And so putting ourselves under the authority of Scripture, under the authority of God, like Dave was saying, maybe in our suffering we're, we're worshiping the wrong thing. And so that taking our life to Scripture can get us out of ourselves. And to expand on the reading someone else's mail thing, because it's an important part of this applying my life to the Bible strategy. Um, the historical narratives in the Bible provide details of real people's lives. So if we read First and Second Samuel, right, we basically see David's biography, and he was a real person. Uh, but those historical narratives from the Bible are often the context in which authors like David wrote the Psalms. So the different things David experienced, right? Um, being pursued by Saul, being pursued by Absalom, his own sin when um, he had the affair with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. A lot of the Psalms he wrote, maybe that was the backdrop or the background. So you've got this difference between the historical narratives where you get all the details, and then you read a Psalm and you hear David talking to God and pleading, and it leaves out those details. It's just him talking to God. So we don't necessarily know those historical details unless we look it up and research which part of his story was happening when he wrote that particular psalm. If we don't look that up, we probably don't know. Uh, so here's where um, applying my life to the Bible comes in. If we think about what David was experiencing in those instances, we can, because we're maybe, say, looking at the psalms in this example, we can take our life and insert it into the psalm since the historical details are out of there. So we can say, what I'm going through is maybe similar to what David was going through. How did he talk to God? And read the psalm that way. So this kind of scripture and application, when we subject ourselves to the Bible and apply our life to the Bible, um, it gets us out of ourselves like I said on the last slide, but then what, is, what do we get into if we get out of ourselves? We get into relationship with God, which we already talked about is so important, and into relationship with other people. Because whatever we're experiencing that we need soul care for is probably usually has some kind of broken relationship as part of it. So doing this work can help maybe restore, repair that broken relationship with other people. But it always starts with God first. Vertical, Paul Tripp says that vertical relationship, res restoring vertical relationship restores horizontal relationships. So we restore our relationship with God, get right with God, that can help us repair our relationships with others. So I'm going to just put up a real quick case study here um, as kind of an example. So say one Sunday after church, hypothetically, you ask the person sitting next to you, how are you doing? And a lot of times we say, good, great, but that, that could be honest. Uh, maybe it's not always the full truth. So maybe sometime, for whatever reason, someone chooses to really open up to you. And in this hypothetical scenario, the other person says, not well. 
My husband and I have only been married a few months, but I think my in-laws really don't like me. We live near them, but they are not believers. My mother-in-law constantly makes judgmental comments and has even lied about me. My husband is very close with his family, and sometimes I think he trusts his mother more than me. So just real quick, one or two observations. What are your initial thoughts about, you know, after hearing this statement, what are your initial thoughts about her situation? Right, exactly like we've been saying, yeah. Yeah, precisely, yeah. Yeah, just like we've been saying, right, the, the value is, is misplaced. It's not relationship with God. It's what her mother-in-law or maybe even her husband thinks of her. So maybe like some fear of man maybe is kind of ruling her in that moment. So we're going we're gonna to practice this, what I've been talking about with Psalm 27, and apply her life from the case study to Psalm 27. Um, so let's say hypothetically you invite her to coffee, and maybe you could read some scripture between when she talks to you and when you go to coffee, and you think about it, pray about it, and God puts Psalm 27 on your heart. Um, and so we think about this psalm was written most likely when David was fleeing from Saul. Real quickly, if you kind of think about that part of David's story, what was he experiencing while he was fleeing from Saul? And how might it be maybe similar to what this woman is experiencing? <laughs> so maybe for uh, for David, there's a real like physical threat to his life that your friend from church isn't necessarily experiencing. So there is one person who does not have any struggles with their with their in-laws. Um, and it's our pastor, so there you go. But, uh, so yeah, maybe like a, a real physical threat David's experiencing, but a similar relationship. And even though hers isn't a threat to her life necessarily, it could be some of the same kind of emotions wrapped up in there, yeah. So maybe he he feel like, like he's doing what's right and what's expected, and Saul's not holding up his end of the bargain right, which could be a thing um, with, the, with the case study. Maybe she's, who we don't know, that that's part of talking and it takes time getting more out. Maybe she is treating her mother-in-law really well, maybe not, but either way she's probably thinking that, right? I'm holding up my end of the bargain, she's not holding up hers. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's, it's um, a deep, important struggle, right? So, yeah, um, there, there's maybe even more overlap there than we realize initially. Yeah, that's such a good comment. That's the kind of where we hope to go with soul care, right? Is you have why would God do this to me to eventually 
that restoring that vertical relationship with God. Yeah. Right, and that's why it's so important to apply our lives to the Bible, right? Because, it, like we were saying, it gets us out of ourselves, right? So we might really be seeing it just from our perspective. And to, to work through this to restore the horizontal relationship, eventually we have to think about the, the other person's perspective too, not just our own. So uh, I'm going to get a real specific strategy up here on the screen. I'm going to go through it pretty fast because... Uh, I'll confess I have not managed my time well this morning, and I want to do some reading of Psalm 27, but also have time for prayer, and so I apologize that I'm going to move real quickly here, but it's really a much simpler strategy than it might initially look like when I put up the slides, so I'll kind of break it down, um, <clears throat> but this is what Pallison calls triangulation. When you read scripture, that you can basically look at it in three ways, and he actually in his talk um, has you read a passage of scripture and highlight it in these different colors, which might not be practical to do if you're having coffee with someone and talking about scripture, but the basic principles of this idea can be super useful. So just think of it really simply of who God is and what he's done is the first category because that's what we forget, right? That's the amnesia we have. We forget who God is and what he's done when we're struggling like this. And then secondly, um, our troubles, whatever we're facing. So it could be suffering, which he puts in yellow, or like our sin, which he puts in red. And then lastly, living an active faith expressed. So living righteously, living out our faith the way God wants us to. And so if you look at the passage of Scripture, as you're reading through it together, which parts of the psalm or whatever you're reading, you could do it with a hymn too or other parts of Scripture, which parts, which verses show who God is and, and what he does, what he has done and what he does do, um, which parts is David or the author talking about his troubles, his struggles, and then which parts is he showing his, his faith in God. And if we look at it those three ways and kind of break it down those three ways, we can start to see how our life fits into there and what David is doing and learning and, and how we can take those steps ourselves. So what has God done? Who is God? And then I added this um, supplication because there's parts where David is really talking to God, asking him for things. Suffering and sin. I think those are two, two things we struggle with. Um, they both fall under the banner of our problems, the presenting heat. Um, but there is an important difference there to note. And then, again, that living faith. So let's take a look real quickly. I know... Again, I apologize. There's not a lot of time left, and I intended there to be more time left at this point, so I apologize. Um, let's take a look at Psalm 27. If, if you guys have God's Word and could open it real quickly, would someone, since I've been talking so much, would someone be willing to read Psalm 27 for us? Thanks, Matt.
Thanks, Matt. Okay, so <clears throat> we don't have a whole lot of time because we want to make sure to have time to prayer. But just real immediately after hearing this psalm, what, what connections do you see to the woman who's struggling with her relationship with her mother-in-law? Why might this be a really good psalm for her to read? And so what are, the, what are the similarities with what David's experiencing here? And then what are some things reading it that might be helpful? Right, so there was specifically that part uh, in her story where she said, like, her mother-in-law lied about her. So, that I mean, that just, to me, seems so important, right? Because um, that's so hard when you, you know it's not true about you. And we can see, you know, that happened to David during this time. Yeah, so it, eventually David is, is waiting on the Lord. So as we read through this psalm, we can, can kind of see how he works through and eventually gets to that point. Yeah. Right, the Christian life in a nutshell, right? And I think, th I think that's one of the most important questions to ask in soul care. And it, it might not be, like, the first question you ask someone, but, right, is what if this doesn't change? What if this relationship is like this with your mother-in-law your whole life, right? Because it would be great if God changed their circumstances, and lots of times he does, but he might not. And so it's, it's about relationship with God, right? Is, is God enough for me? Yeah, so like connecting what Jim said with the fact that we live in this fallen, broken world, coming alongside other people, weeping with them, but then, like we said earlier, God is this relational God, so he's there with us too. And then the hope we see, it's a broken world, but we have the hope, like the hope we see at the end of the psalm. Yes, the specific things she's dealing with. We've seen some of the circumstances, right, like the lies being told about her. But what is the heart issue, right? Like her mother-in-law just, just being mean and saying things that aren't true is, is the, the presenting heat, the trouble, right? But what is going on in her heart with that? And it's, it's a fear of man, caring more about what other, other humans think of her than what God thinks of her. And so we see David reckon with that here. Yeah, that's such a good question. It's really, well, one, like we said, it takes time, right? So you, you wouldn't probably immediately go there. 
And then I think to connect this back to the, very, the, the first soul care Sunday school a couple months ago, asking really good questions, right? So asking her, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about God? And reading the psalm together and maybe trying to get her to say that rather than you saying, well, I think you're really struggling with fear, man. Right? That can push, <laughs> push someone away. I mean, that's kind of similar to, right? Well, just, just Genesis 50, God is good, right? You, you're fine. Um, so, yeah. So trying to, you know, just asking those kinds of questions and, and, and looking at the text together, it, it may be kind of, or you could even like, well, David seems like he's struggling with some fear, man, and tell around verse 6, you know. Yeah. Right, exactly. The tree diagram with the who, who am I, who is God, what has God done? Yeah, those just really fundamental questions, right? Because we forget, if we have fear of man, we're, for, we're forgetting our identity in Christ. So asking those questions, and they, they may say um, what is really true about God, or they may say the lies they're believing in that moment, but either way you can, you can help them work through it by asking those questions. That's a, that's a really good comment, and it helps me here after looking at the psalm transition to the very last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, you don't have time probably to go through kind of all these points, but I think we, we mentioned them, pretty much all of you kind of pointed out these things as we were talking about the psalm. Um, but the last thing I want to mention just connects right with what Christy said, which is... Um, Pallison, when he's talking about this way of reading the Bible, talks about a radical other-centeredness, and that's just a kind of a big way of saying getting out of ourselves and into relationship with God and other people. So we see here how David um, reminds himself of who God is and God's promises, and he brings his own fear of man as he's being pursued by Saul he reckons that with God with who God really is and there's a there's a transition in the psalm where he he uses the word now in verse 6 and says um, yeah in verse 6 he says now my now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy I will sing and make melody to the Lord so there's there's kind of a turning point there. Um, and then he, he follows God's command to seek God's face. So we see him work through a, a similar issue to the person from our case study. And then at the end, and instead of just kind of focusing on himself and his problems, he's out of himself, he's talking to God, he's with God, he's in that relationship with God, and he believes he'll see um, the goodness of God in the land of the living and will wait on God. So we, we see him kind of move through the psalm where he gets to, how he concludes there, believing God's promises, believing that they are indeed true, remembering who he is as a child of God, but by getting out of himself and into relationship with God, and other people. Um, so, like I said, hopefully these are just some really practical strategies for, for reading Scripture, applying our lives to parts of Scripture that seem to parallel what we're experiencing. And through that reading of Scripture, uh, restoring our relationship with God, which will eventually restore our relation, relationship with other people. And ju just saying what... Um, what God do you want me to learn here? Because like someone said a few minutes ago, the circumstances might change. So 
God might not always give us answers, but he does give us a relationship with him. And that's, that's what's most important. So this is just kind of a way through reading a scripture to, to work on that um, relationship with God and with others. Um, so I'm sorry I took so long there. We only have about five or six minutes to pray. Um, so we can just pray for, you know, anything from this that, that brings to mind a prayer. And then um, obviously for the service this morning. Um, so if we have maybe two or three or four people pray real quickly, um, and then I'll, I'll close us out. Um, John, would you mind starting us off? Thanks.